This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, When All Has Been Heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Okay, welcome back this afternoon. How's everyone doing? It's been a blessed day, hasn't it? It's been a full day. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here this afternoon. Any of you joining the seminar for the first time just today? Okay, wow. Well, welcome. Glad to have you for this final seminar, uh, Keys to Personal Revival. And I'm going to be talking just specifically, as you saw in your programs, more about surrender and what that might look like in our daily lives. The call to above and beyond surrender, faithfulness to God's call. So we'll go ahead and jump right in and we'll begin with a word of prayer if you wouldn't mind bowing your your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Sabbath and for the blessings that we've already experienced today in so many ways. Father, um, I just pray that we would know how to assimilate and take the things that we have been learning here at GYC, um, from the seminars to the main messages. um, Just show us how to apply these things to our lives, Father, that we would be uh, doers of the word, not just hearers only. We need you, Father, to change our hearts and just to continue to work a deeper work in us, Father. Thank you for hearing this prayer in your precious name. Amen. I just want to remind you one more time, for those of you maybe that are just joining, uh, for the PDF notes on all my seminars, that would include all six of them, this is the sixth one, you can go to daringtoaskformore.com, daringtoaskformore.com, and look under the Above and Beyond Seminars, and you can pick out the GYC seminar, and you can go back and look at the notes, so you don't have to worry about copying all the quotes that I use as quickly as I use them. I want to share a story to begin with. Some of you may have heard this story. You may have read this book. It's called The Heavenly Man. Anybody read this book? Yeah, several of you have. This is just a powerful, powerful testimony. It's been a little while since I've read the book. But uh, this, this young man, his life... It's, it's a life of pursuit of God and dedication and surrender to the call like we don't really see a whole lot in our generation. And this is somebody that's still living in today's generation. He's still alive today. Um, but he grew up in China in a very poor area in China. He had heard from his parents about God and what God had done in their lives, but he'd never seen a Bible or they hadn't had a Bible because it wasn't safe. For them to have that. In fact, if he had one and he was caught, he could be killed. Um, so it was very religiously oppressive. But he had a really big burden in his heart. He couldn't really read, but he had a big burden to have a Bible for himself so that he could learn about God, so that he could study God's Word for himself. And so he began praying, and he actually started a hundred-day fast Um, praying and pleading that God would send him a Bible. And the fast wasn't a complete 
you know, eating nothing, basically. Um, from what I remember, he didn't eat anything uh, during the morning. It was, it was not until the evening. He had a little bit of rice and water, but he was very, very restrictive on his diet. And he was just pleading. He was so desperate <laughs> to receive a Bible because he wanted to learn about God for himself. You know, I think about his dedication and how we grow up with so many Bibles in our home, you know, we probably have multiple Bibles, and how lax and lazy we are about really getting into God's Word and studying. Anyway, he continued fasting and praying. His family actually thought he was losing his mind. Um, he was so intense. On the hundredth day, actually right before that, he had a dream that someone came to him in the middle of the night, and they knocked on the door, and they gave him a loaf of bread. And in that loaf of bread, how fitting, was a Bible, the Word of God, the living bread, right? Well, not long after that, on the hundredth day of the fast, that's what happened. In the middle of the night, someone came and knocked on the door, and they brought this Bible to him. And they said that they had been told of God, I think that they had received a dream as well, to come and bring the Bible to him. Well, he could not read very well, but he began eating up that Word of God and, and, and reading and, and growing. And he couldn't contain what he found uh, in the Word of God to himself. He had to share it, so he started sharing it and started um, helping groups, little, little groups of believers get started. And as a result of that, he began to be a hunted man because that wasn't permissible in this area where he was at the time. And he began continuing. I mean, he kept... He kept going and going, and even when he was imprisoned, even when these different things happened to him, he kept going. Finally, uh, one point came, and I'm skipping a lot of story, just kind of giving you a little summary. He had escaped from prison and had so many very unusual things happen that they decided if they ever caught him again, they were going to make sure he would never escape again. And so the authorities finally did catch him again, and they broke his legs and smashed everything. So there's no way, thank you, there's no way that he could walk or that he could get out of here or anything. And so basically he had to be drugged to the bathroom, he had to be drugged here or there, and it, it really looked like, you know, this was the last time. After a period of time, he continued praying, his faith was strong, even though he was a cripple and he couldn't walk. And one day, just like what happened with Peter in prison, he felt like God told him, get up, walk out the door. He, he didn't even actually realize what he was doing. He just responded to the invitation that God gave him. And he stood up and he went towards the door and the door opened. And he passed a guard in the hall. They didn't see him. He walked down the stairs. Another door opened. And his inmates, you know, fellow prisoners saw what was happening. And they're the witnesses <laughs> to the story. And they watched. They looked out the windows and saw him go into the main courtyard and go to the main gate. And the gate opened. And he walked out the front of this prison. Maximum security prison in China. Now, and they never saw him. There had never been anyone escape from this prison before. But God walked him out of the prison just like Peter. And he was able to escape the country and just this, this man has, uh, Brother Yoon, he has so many amazing testimonies of what 
God has done for him. And he's, he's continuing to, to win souls for the kingdom. But the thing that just really, I mean, yeah, God healed his legs, God opened the doors, everything. You know, he believed, he believes in a God that is living and alive today. And that's what I talked about the very first morning when we had the seminars here. You know, we talk a lot about the Bible. We talk about the things that God has done in the past. We talk about what he's going to do in the future. But what about today? Do we believe a God that's living and alive today? And he did, and he just held on. And God honored that prayer. Now, there's a lot of different stories that we could talk about, both from people of modern times and people that have gone before us, and how God has worked in their lives and, and the consecration and the surrender. And I don't know about you, but when I read some of these stories, I, I grew up reading these stories and I was just like, man, I want to have faith like that. I want to be that type of person that God could use and that he could speak through and, and all these different things. You know, we have these, her, what do you call it, heroic type dreams. We want to be able to live that life. But I have really seen, and God has really been impressing in my heart over the years, if he's ever going to use us in a more, whatever, significant way like this, it has to start with the faithfulness in the little details. It has to start with the faithfulness in the little details. And I just want to share um, a testimony that might actually hit home with, with some of you. I remember one time, a little while back, this was you know, maybe two or three years back, a friend of mine gave me a pair of long jeans, pants. If you haven't noticed, I'm tall. <laughs> and it's hard to find pants that are long enough. It's hard to find skirts that are long enough. So when I find them, I hold on to them. <laughs> anyway, so she, she gave me this pair of pants. It was really nice. They were a little bit, you know, decorative. Um, in their design and they were expensive. I would never be able to pay for these type of things. And I thought it was really cool, you know. Uh, I'm a country girl, by the way, at, at heart. I grew up climbing trees and running in the fields and building forts. And um, it's only been my going away to school and beginning to work with church and ministry that, that, that God thankfully taught me how to be a lady because I was very much whatever. And I still, I love to get my feet dirty and I love to be out there in the country. So um, I probably would still be climbing trees if I had the opportunity. My mother does, by the way. And I thought, wow, if I'm still climbing trees when I'm her age, this is going to be awesome. Anyway, that's a, a whole diversion there. So my friend gives me these pants and I'm so excited because they're long and they're comfortable and they're cute and they're nice pants I would never pay for on my own. Then after wearing them a couple times, I washed them and I noticed there was some gray lining in the pockets. And I looked at it a little bit more and there were some, some patterns on that gray lining. And I was like, what is this? You know what the pattern was? It was actually skulls and crossbones. Skulls and crossbones. And I'm like, why did they have to destroy the, these pants with this fabric inside, right? I mean, like this is, whose sign is that? Is that God's sign? Skulls and crossbones. It's the sign of death, right? And so I, I instantly knew what it was. But even though I knew, this little battle goes on in my mind. And I'm like, well, it's inside my pockets, right? Doesn't matter because no one sees. And after all, God knows what's in my heart, right? He knows that I don't ascribe to these things. 
So does it really matter? So you have this conflict going back in your, in your mind, you know, like, oh, found these perfect things they were given to me. I mean, do I give them back? Do I throw them away? Do I, do I just, I mean, and then it's not a big deal. You know, it's like the devil keeps telling me, it's not a big deal. Well, I knew what the voice was, you know, I'm, I'm saying. And so I'm struggling with this and I'm, how can I embrace something even in the littlest way if this is something that has caused Christ's pain and suffering and that is against his kingdom? So I had the battle in my mind, but I ended up giving them back to my friend. And um, I'm not sure that she really understood why, because, again, uh, of the nature. But God really was convicting me, and he has been continuing to convict me that if we are not surrendered in the little mundane details in daily life, how can we expect to be faithful in those bigger challenges and those bigger responsibilities that God gives to us in our lives? This is, this is the big challenge. There's a book um, by Reese Howells. Actually, it's by Norman Grubb. It's called Reese Howells' Intercessor. And I actually refer to some of these stories in Daring to Ask for More. Uh, Reese Howells was just an incredible man of faith and prayer. He actually established a Bible college in Wales um, back in 1924, um, right during um, World War II. And during this time at the Bible College, they, they started basically a school of prayer. And you can read more about this in um, Daring to Ask. But I'll just share this point. During some of the hardest times of battle, when Hitler and the troops and all these things um, were attacking, Reese and his students at the school recognized this is not just a physical battle where we're losing territory or they might take over um, you know, England or this or that. This is a spiritual battle. Um, this is distracting from, from the gospel, being able to be shared with, with God's people. And so they began praying and praying and praying that God would overrule. And it's really interesting because at the end of the war, there were four specific blunders that um, this news commentator wrote about. And those four blunders that Hitler made were four specific battles that Reese and his Bible college group had prayed that God would intervene and would stop. You know, you've heard about the fact that the, that the bombers and all were coming against um, Great Britain, England there, and they were coming and coming and coming, and they stopped five minutes before they would have surrendered. And, and Reese Howells and his students in that prayer college were praying that God would overrule. And that's what happened that day. Anyway, the stories go on and on. Um, the, the, the testimony of his life has really, really inspired me. But I just want to share a little bit behind the scenes, the struggle that Reese went through. This comes from the book, The Intercessor. The Holy Spirit said to me, he was convicted um, to surrender. And this is the struggle that was happening in his mind. It's not like he was hearing voices. This is the struggle in his mind. As the Savior had a body, so I dwell in the cleansed temple of the believer. I am a person. I am God. And I come to ask you to give your body to me that I may work through it. I need a body for my temple, but it must belong to me without reserve. For two persons with different wills can never live in the same body. Will you give me yours? 
But if I come in, I come as God, and you must go out. I will not mix myself with yourself. And so for five days, Reese was wrestling and struggling. We've been talking about this topic already throughout the seminars and throughout GYC. How do we surrender self? He said, I had received a sentence of death as really as a prisoner in the dock. I had lived in my body for 26 years. Could I easily give it up? He says, I wept for days. I lost seven pounds. Nothing is more real to me than the process I went through for that week. The Holy Spirit went on dealing with me, exposing the root of my nature, which was self. And you can only get out of a thing what is in its root. It wasn't just sin he was dealing with. It was self, the root of sin. Finally, at the end of that week, Reese recognized that he could not crucify self because self would not allow it. He could only allow Christ to do this. And when he did that, that's when he had the victory. And the same is with our lives today. You know, John Wesley made the statement that God can do more with one man who is 100% committed to him than with a whole army of men who are 99% committed. Would you want to be with, well, I'm not going to jump ahead of my, my story there. Let me share another story. This is a testimony, actually, that happened a few years ago here at GYC. We had a prayer room going, and many people were coming through. Now, this is probably four or five years ago now. Uh, and someone brought to us a watch that had been left on one of the chairs. And when we got the watch, we thought someone had forgotten it or had accidentally left it. But this is really interesting because this is what we found with the watch. There was a note. This watch has not been forgotten, but is being surrendered. I knew better and should never have bought it. It has become an idol to me. There have been many layers in my heart between me and God, but now there is one layer less. Praise the Lord. And they included the reference Ezekiel 36, 26, which says, A new heart will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. You know, I don't know the struggles that you have. We all have different struggles in our hearts and lives. And the enemy is attacking us in different ways because he knows our weak points. He knows um, where we're most vulnerable. Uh, it might be in the area of fashion. It might be in the area of money. It might be in the area of entertainment or diet or who knows. But he knows how to attack. And that's why we need to be on our knees and just pleading, Lord, show me. What are those things in my life that are coming between me and you? How, um, how do you want me to surrender? He wants us to surrender, but he has to give us the strength to do so. We're told in Fifth Testimonies, page 53, even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire, cherished, will eventually neutralize all the power of the gospel. Is it worth losing our eternal salvation over a watch or over a pair of jeans or over, you know, some different thing? No. But we have to pray that God would help us. And, you know, the, the struggles that I'm talking about, they're struggles that I've had too. I totally understand. I remember one time, um, I, you know, I've been really praying over the years. This isn't something 
just recent, but just, Lord, help me to honor you with my spending habits. Help me to honor you with, with my wardrobe and, and all these different things. And I was at the store one time, and I picked up a piece of clothing. And in my mind, I remember this little battle. You know how you have the Holy Spirit talking to you, and it's kind of like, you don't need to buy that. What are you doing? You know, put that back. You don't need to buy that. Um, so anyway, but I liked it, and so I'm walking around with it, and I'm heading to the cash register, and then I'm like, oh, I don't want to go home with this battle. Okay, so I go and put it back. So I put it back on the clothes rack. So a few days pass, and I'm back in that same store. Do you know that I went and picked up that same piece of clothes again and carried it around? And I think that time, I actually did buy it. And I took it home. But had the Holy Spirit changed its mind about <laughs> whether or not this was... No, I mean, it was, it was a battle between me and God. I, I knew in my heart he had told me, you don't need that. You're wasting money. You don't have very much money right now. You don't need to be spending it on this. But here I wrestled and wrestled, and then put it back, and then I go back again, and then I buy it, and I take it home. And then it sits on my closet for a while, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't wear this. And so I take it back, and I return it. Do you know that I went back and I bought it a second time? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, that's ridiculous. Why do we do these things? Why do we do these things? I'm embarrassed to say. I think um, the second time I bought it, I did keep it in my closet for a while, I think maybe hoping that that whatever that I was struggling with in my head would go away and then I would be able to enjoy it. But by the time I, again, came back to, Lord, please forgive me, and tried to take it back, I think it was too late to take it back. Like, I couldn't return it. So I just ended up giving it away or getting rid of it because I couldn't wear it. But this was a real thing, you know, that's happened to me. And I've actually had some, um, some more struggles I'm going to share um, that have happened more recently along the similar line. These are things that we're constantly battling with. Appetite, this, that, whatever. And we have to constantly be going back to God and saying, Lord, help me. Help me die to self today. Help me to be surrendered today. And again, remember, like I talked about the other day, this is not about um, just, oh, okay, I'm just determined. I'm, I'm just gritting my teeth. I'm going to do this. You know, this is not about grit and determination because we are always going to fall if we are approach it, approaching obedience that way. You know, the only thing that's going to give us victory is that abiding relationship and keeping our eyes on Christ and keeping our focus on him. And as we keep looking to him and as you keep immersing yourself in the word and as you're spending time in prayer, he is able to soften our hearts and break our hearts. And we don't want to do anything that hurts him. But when we begin to grow distant and we're not eating spiritually like we talked about yesterday and we're not feeding ourselves, then these things begin to grasp a hold of us, and our, our vision is growing um, um, dim of Christ. You know, we're told, this is the compilation on prayer, we are never called upon to make a real sacrifice for God. Many things he asks us to yield to him, but in doing this, we are but giving up that which hinders us in the heavenward way. Even when called upon to surrender those things which in themselves are good, we may be sure that God is working out for us some higher good. There are things in our lives that are not bad in and of themselves, but they at times take um, affection and become an idol to us 
away from God, and we have to ask that he would not allow that to happen. I was reading um, some old Eric B. Hare stories a little while back that I came across, and I just found this heartbreaking story. He was sharing um, how they, they had this mission um, compound, I think it was actually in Myanmar, Burma, and Japanese or different troops were coming in, and they had to flee. The interesting thing was, is there was this very wealthy woman in the area, in the village, where they had this mission house set up. And they had gone to her, and they had asked her if she would help support the mission or if she would donate. She was basically someone that lived by herself, and she had all this stuff. And she was like, no, 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 you know. She just wasn't interested in sharing. Well, when everything began to fall apart, and they were leaving, and, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the locations and the names where this happened. But as they were packing up and, and getting ready to flee, along with all of the, the local people, this woman came to them. And she's like, I have this and I have that. You know, I'm having to leave. Could you use this for your mission? And, and I'm, I'm sorry I didn't give this earlier. Could you use this? And she was just crying and, please, take this. And he's like, I'm so sorry. It's too late. We can't use it now. We're all leaving. It's too late. And she was just brokenhearted. Oh, if only I'd put it to good use sooner. Now it's all going to be burned up. They're going to trash, you know, all these different things. And he was sharing how along the flight, as they were leaving that region, different people were coming to them saying the same thing. He had someone else that stopped him along the road. And, and you guys were studying with us several weeks ago. And you asked us if we wanted to be baptized. But we weren't ready. We couldn't, you know. But, but could, could you come back and baptize us now? And he had to say, I'm sorry, we all have to leave. We can't come back now. We have to go, you know. And all these people are like, oh, it's too late, it's too late. And I think, wow, you know, this is just a little picture. Can you imagine getting to the end of the road and finding, you know, we're carrying all these treasures and things along with us that we thought we desperately needed, that we did not surrender, we did not send our treasure, you know, ahead of us to heaven, and finding out, Lord, it's too late. Why didn't I surrender while I could? Why didn't I let go while I could? A friend actually wrote me um, an email earlier this year. He wrote, a question hit me this morning while I was having my devotions with the Lord. What would be the biggest tragedy in the life of a Christian at the end of time? After much thought and prayer, the answer came to me. The biggest tragedy would be losing heaven, losing eternal life, losing the chance to be with our God for eternal ages because I only gave him 99% because I kept back 1% for myself. I was reminded this morning when the final accounts are reckoned, it's either all or nothing with God. He gave his all when he gave me Jesus, which caused me to give him my all in return. Full surrender all to him. You know, it's interesting, though, because the battle to give God our full surrender, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us. You know, we're willing to accept Christ as our Savior. We're thankful that he covers our sins. But to surrender, to let go of our desires, plans, and possessions, and live only for him, this is a different question. And yet it is just this question that caused the rich young ruler to turn away from Christ. One author writes in The Surrendered Life, perhaps the most astonishing fact of the religious life today is the number of men and women who, thinking they are saved by Christ, are yet unwilling to yield to him and to live no longer to themselves, but unto him. The reality is that multitudes of professed followers are walking happily with the Lord as long as his plans are pleasing. We talked about this yesterday, right? As long as his plans are pleasing and acceptable to them. And they think that this is enough. 
But once the Lord asks them to walk in the dark or to start doing something against their will or natural desires, they break down at their point of greatest weakness, a point of some secret, cherished reservation to the whole will of God. However, it is just here that a definite act of surrender to God in whatever the circumstance is of such value. That's why we say when we get married, for better or for worse, we don't know what's going to happen, but we are committing to that relationship. And the same thing with God. We are committing to this relationship with him. No matter what he asks, no matter where he asks us to go, if Jesus is truly our Lord, if we only surrender when things, is Jesus truly our Lord, if we only surrender when things are comfortable and pleasing? Is he truly our Lord if we only surrender when he asks us to do what we want to do anyway? No, he's not our Lord unless we're really willing to follow him all the way. I want to tell you another love story. It's not mine. The surprise after the honeymoon. There was a couple... Um, that known each other, had a beautiful love story, got married, went on their honeymoon. They came back, and this was back when we're in the digital age now, but they still had the, you know, they get their pictures back from the wedding and their prints. It's not all digital on the computer. It's, it's prints, and they're going through the prints. And so they were so excited. They got their pictures back from the wedding, and they were beautiful, and they ordered certain enlargements they want, and they got them, and they started hanging them in, in specific locations around the house. And after uh, a, a little period of time, I don't remember how long it was, uh, the husband came back one day from work. His wife was home cooking. He came back, and he noticed there was something different in the house when he came in. It, it was... It, it took him a few seconds to figure out. But he, be, he began looking around the house, around the walls, and he saw in between these pictures of him and his wife, there were these little, smaller pictures, and they were actually pictures of other men. And he was, like, looking at this with consternation, like, what in the world? And then his wife comes out of the kitchen, and she sees the look on his face, and she's like, Todd, don't worry. I... You know, I want you to know you are the most important person in my life. You're my husband. But I've been thinking about some of those old boyfriends that I used to have, those guys that I dated previously, and I just wanted to see their pictures again, so I put them up on the wall. Now, do you think that really happened? <laughs> okay, no, this is a made-up story. This is a made-up story. This did not really happen. I try to keep a straight face, though, so you think it's real. But... The reason I share this illustration, think about what happens in our, in our walk with Jesus. Because so often we commit to give our lives to him and to pledge our love to him. And it's like he is our Lord and our Savior and we recognize what he has done for us. And we are surrendering all. We make those decisions. But then a little time goes by and we start thinking about the other lovers that we've had in our life. And we start pulling them back into the picture. Now, this would not ever survive in a normal romantic relationship, right? They'd be, you know, like, done. You're not going to be having two pictures or, or pictures of all these other guys, boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever, in your life. You're committing to that one person. If we are supposed to do that in our earthly relationships, how much more with our heavenly love? Think about it. 
You know, I used to wonder, I remember hearing verses about the fact that God is jealous. He's a jealous God. And I, I remember thinking, how can he be jealous? I mean, he tells us not to be jealous. He's jealous of our love. I, you know, in my childish mind, I didn't really grasp. What is the point of God being jealous? He says, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ. Why is it right for him to be jealous? And this is what brought it together. You see, when we commit to give our heart to God, he has exclusive rights over us. Rights that he will not share with another. Just like when we're married. And our husband or wife is jealous for our exclusive affection. God says, you are mine. I will not share you with other lovers or with other gods. I will fight for you because I love you. The degree of his holy jealousy actually shows the degree of his holy love. The greater the love, the greater the anger when that love is violated. God has a holy jealousy over us, and he's trying to protect us. He loves us so dearly. Christ Object Lessons, page 118. Almost Christians, yet not fully Christians. They seem near the kingdom, but they cannot enter there. Almost, but not wholly saved means to be almost, but not wholly lost. There was a Waldensian pastor... Um, living back during the time when the Waldensians were being persecuted and attacked in the hills where they were hiding. And um, this man and his family had been hunted for a while, and finally um, the soldiers came in and, and found them. And they told the Waldensian pastor, if you do not recant your faith, you know what's going to happen to you? And they began to describe the torture and the different things that would happen to him. And you know what the Waldensian pastor told these people that were threatening this and they were going to kill him? He said, 10,000 deaths would be too few for me to die in this manner because of the love that I have for Christ. You could do this to me 10,000 times and I still would not recant because of my love for Christ. How can we be robbed if we have that type of a relationship with God? We're not going to be, right? We're not going to be robbed of that. And, and that man did die, along with his wife and along with his children. Think about that. Again, we want to have the surrender in our lives that will stand the test when the time comes. We know that we're nearing a time, a time when there's going to be trouble, there's going to be test. People are actually going to be taken to death. We don't know when, but we know a time of trouble is coming such as never has been seen. Will we have the strength to stand like this? We sing when we go to church. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I would ever love and trust him in his presence. Daily live. Yet, actually, you know what it seems like we're singing? If the truth were told, some to Jesus I surrender, some to him I hesitantly give. I will sometimes love and serve him, but in his presence, I'm not sure I want to live. That hurts. But so often, by the reality of our daily lives, that's where we are. And we have to ask Jesus and cling to him and plead with him help us 
teach us what it means to be truly surrendered in the details. Because, you know, the Bible verse, I didn't include it here. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And that's what it really comes down to when I talk about called to above and beyond surrender. You know, you think, oh, I want to sign up. And, you know, we've had these calls for missions and, and different things that have been going out today and, and last night. I want to sign up and go be a missionary. You know, maybe somewhere in the Middle East. I might even lose my life. But, I mean, that's an exciting, adventuresome, you know. And we need to be willing to accept those calls. But the challenge that I want to make to you today is you have to start with surrender where you are now in the daily details with your family when no one is looking. That's the biggest test of real surrender is if you are going to be faithful to God when no one's looking, when they can't pat you on the back, when they can't say you did your job right, you were honest, your thoughts were pure, your motives were seeking for God, that's when the rubber really meets the road in our lives. Are we faithful when no one knows? God has really convicted me that we as Christians are very good at surrendering some. For over 150 years, Adventist believers have been living set apart from the world, as it were, going to church on the seventh day, paying tithe, sending their children to Christian schools, supporting missions, you know, these things. These are sacrifices. We've been praying passionately for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to fall on our church. Yet all the while we continue to harbor hard feelings towards each other. We are filled with pride and self we compromise in small secret sins while justifying ourselves that we really aren't bad, that bad off when we look around at what others are doing around us. We wonder why the latter rain hasn't fallen, yet while God is wondering why we aren't willing to be emptied of self so he can fill us. There's a story, some of you may have heard of the story, um, back in the genocide that happened in Rwanda. I think this was back in 1994. A number of people were killed but there was actually an Adventist group of believers that were huddled in a church praying as all these atrocities were going on and this group actually broke into their church and and they were all praying and one of the leaders said who's the leader here in the group and the pastor stood up the Seventh-day Adventist pastor he says I am and the man ran forward and basically put a machete right through his head and killed him and and then they began to slaughter all the people in the church just horrific. We, we can't even comprehend some of the things that our brothers and sisters have dealt with on the other side of the world. So a couple days after this, some of the remaining believers that had survived came back and began to clean up the, the bodies and take them away. And when they did, they found somebody under the bodies that was still breathing, very, very badly injured, um, but still breathing. And it actually happened to be the wife of the pastor that was first killed. So they took her to the hospital. Um, it took about six months through hospital and rehab and all these different things before she was able to leave and, and go back to, to life again. Um, but she, her mind was intact, and she, when she recognized what had happened, immediately began praying, Lord, teach me and show me how to love and forgive those that have killed my husband. Can you imagine? <laughs> having such a love and a forgiveness in your heart that you could say, you know, it doesn't, you know, 
It's not that it doesn't matter. That's not the right term. But if your family had been killed, that you could say, you know what? I'm still going to forgive you. We cannot produce that type of forgiveness. We don't have it in us. I mean, I get angry in my heart when one of my best friends is treated wrongly by, you know, someone else. I'm like, Arr! you know, and they're calm and everything. And I'm just like, but this isn't right. Frustrating. Lord, help me to surrender. Help me to surrender you. You say you will take care of things. You say all things work together for good. This lady um, healed, was back at home, began praying how she could minister to those that had hurt her. And she found out that some of the, the men that had been involved in this had actually been put into a nearby prison. They had been caught and captured and put into prison. So she began to bake special items and goods and went to the prison and asked if she could minister to them. Initially, <clears throat> I think the, prisoner, the prison guards weren't quite sure what she was doing, you know, if she's coming to poison them or what. <laughs> But then they realized, you know, that she was genuine. She really wanted to do something for these men. And so she ministered to them and, and became friends with some of these prisoners and just showed them Jesus' love. And one day this, this uh, young man came up to her and he knelt at her feet and he says, Miss, you know, Jermaine, could you please forgive me? And he says, I was actually the one that murdered your husband. And she says, I already forgave you long ago you're forgiven. They both cried, but she extended that arm of forgiveness. Time went on. Those prisoners were eventually released. I don't remember the circumstance where, but they weren't able to keep holding them. They released them. But you know what? This man who had killed her husband, his family had also been killed in the genocide. So he had no family to go back to. So he went to this woman's house and knocked on her door and said, well, I'm out of prison now, and I just wanted to come and see you before I left the area. And she's like, you know, where are you gonna go? Do you have family? You know, no, I don't. Well, why don't you come and live with me? You'll be my family, you'll be my son, and we'll wait together for Jesus to come and to resurrect our loved ones. And that happened. And they began to live together as a mother and son. I think that you can actually, if you Google, you could probably find uh, their testimony, um, some of their testimony on YouTube. But can you imagine a surrender that would allow such a forgiveness in, in their hearts? Now, we've all been wronged in our lives in some way. I don't know the stories, but looking out across the room, I know all of you have some in your life that you could, you could hold grudge, you could hold unforgiveness for. But I just want to challenge you to lay that at the foot of the cross, to say, Lord, take this. I can't handle this bitterness. It actually puts me in a prison. I can't handle this in my heart. It's actually keeping me from growing in my walk with you. You know, that actually is a roadblock to growing. You know, we want to experience personal revival. Sometimes it's those bitterness, those grudges, those grievances that we're holding on to that are actually holding us from growing back. They're like chains that hold us down. We cannot forgive in our own strength. I can't just tell you today, you know, just forget, pretend like it never happened. You know, there are scars. I have scars in my life as well. We have scars, but God wants to heal us, and he will if we will allow him to, if we will surrender. You know surrender is actually a prerequisite to us receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to go into this in, in great detail, but I just wanted to share 
um, a couple quotes here. We're told that the Lord, I actually shared this already, I think today, um, but I'll share it again here. The Lord can do more in one hour than we can do in a whole lifetime. And when he sees that his people are fully consecrated, let me tell you, a great work will be done in a short time and the message of truth will be carried into the dark places of the earth where it has never been proclaimed. It is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. God cannot reveal himself until those who profess to be Christians are doers of his word in their private lives, till there is oneness with Christ. I want to share a testimony of something that happened just a little bit more recently with me. It just happened back in September. This isn't very long ago. I was struggling um, with a, a few different things in my life, and sometimes when we struggle with these different issues, we can work ourselves up into a little bit of a pity party mode, you know? I was kind of feeling, I got myself feeling, oh, just like, poor me, this isn't working out, and this isn't working out, and I was just allowing myself, instead of looking to Christ, instead of dying to self and saying, Lord, help me, turn my eyes to you, turn my focus to you, I, dwell, I was dwelling on it, and I got myself into this little melancholy, depressive state. I was thinking, you know, I might as well, you know, like they say, why don't you just go crawl in a hole and eat worms type of thing, right? <laughs> yes. So you get yourself in this, and I was struggling, and so um, I had... Um, yeah. So I'm struggling, and it was a Friday, and I went to town just thinking something else that I had been wanting to do hadn't worked out. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to go to town and do a few things, run a few errands. But then I went and did a few things that I didn't need to do, like splurging on some things that I didn't need to buy, splurging on some food that I didn't need to eat. And do you think I came back feeling any better <laughs> than when I left? No, I was even more miserable, right? I went to take care of myself and, and poor Melody, such and such. But I came back feeling even more miserable. And that night I went to bed. The next morning I woke up at Sabbath morning and I woke up about five o'clock um, to have my devotions before church. But when I tried to have my devotions and I tried to have my prayer time and my praise time, I could not do it. I don't know if you've ever had times where you're trying to talk to God. I tend to, since I live alone and am not interrupting anybody, I like to pray out loud and just speak my prayers to God as I pray the word and all of that. So I began talking to him, but then it's just like, but the thoughts would not come. It was just like, and I was like, Lord, I need to have this time with you. I know that. Why can I not pray? There was this block. So I was praying about it and thinking about it just in my head for a few minutes. And then I felt the Holy Spirit say, you're not surrendered. You've gotten yourself in this little pity party because of these different issues you're struggling with. There were relational things I was struggling with. I was struggling with work. Um, at the time, some things weren't working out as quickly as I wanted. Um, as you know, I work uh, with the prayer ministries at the General Conference, and we've been working on some projects. And sometimes it takes longer than you would hope for different things to work out. And so I was just frustrated and thinking, maybe I should just go and do something different. You have these little things that sometimes come through your mind, and you have to rebuke those things. But when we don't, they lead us down a path that we should not be on. So I'm struggling with these things, and I'm being very, very vulnerable and open with you because I'm not proud about the fact that I have this struggle. But it's really, I, I'm sharing this for a point. So God's convicting me through the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, look at that clothes item in your closet you just bought. Did I talk about the fact that I struggled with clothes, <laughs> you know, a little while back with an item? Well, I had gone and purchased something else, and it was just, you know, like, I didn't need it. I just purchased it because I wanted to do something for poor Melody because things weren't working out for her, you know? And so I see that, and I was like, oh, Lord, I don't, you know, want to go down this path again. Are you seriously going to ask me to take that back? <laughs> so I'm struggling with this. And, uh, and then I'm trying to pray, and it's not going anywhere. I'm trying to pray. And it just hits me. It's like, Melody, you know better than this. What are you doing? You know, you talk about surrender. You're teaching people about surrender and prayer and removing the breaches and roadblocks. Is it really worth cutting off your communication with me for a couple days until you surrender? You know you're going to have to because you can't go on. I cannot function in my life if I feel that there's dissidence between me and God. Does that mean every area in my life has been resolved that needs to be resolved? No, God's growing me, just like he's growing all of us. But if I know there's something, I mean, I will still, because I'm a rebellious, sinful human being, I'll go through my times where I'm still fighting him. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to surrender this, or I don't want to let go. And I'll fight it, but I can't fight it forever. I have to be surrendered. I cannot go forward in my walk with him if I don't feel like he has my complete surrender and allegiance. So I'm struggling. I don't want to let this go. And I'm just like... Is this worth fighting over for a couple days and not having this close walk with God? Is this worth losing my salvation over because of, you know? So I'm thinking these things. And then as I'm thinking this, I begin to think of some other areas in my life that I hadn't surrendered. I had surrendered, but I had taken them back, which we tend to do. We surrender and we take back and surrender and take back. And so I was just convicted. Lord, please forgive me. I don't want there to be anything between me and you. Please forgive me. This was a really, really really big struggle. And so I said, Lord, please change my heart. I don't have the desire to do what's right right now because I'm feeling selfish and I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm feeling sad, but I'm asking you to change my heart and I choose to give you my will. You know, God has given us the power of choice. He says, choose to serve me, choose to give me your will, and then I will do what needs to happen in your life. And so at that moment, I was like, God, and I wrote down on this list, right then, actually, I got off of my bed, and I went and took the clothes out of the closet and put them in the sack with a receipt. It was Sabbath morning. I'm like, okay, God, on Sunday, I'll take them back. And then I wrote in this receipt, this is a journal, I was journaling, and I was like, okay, um, Lord, forgive me for taking this back. Forgive me for taking this back. I surrender this to you. I surrender. And I just went through this whole thing until there was nothing that I could think of in my heart that was not surrendered. And I gave it to him. And I said, Lord, take it. And when I did that, it's like the floodgates opened. And the Holy Spirit's there. And I can pray. And I began praying and crying and, and praising God. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful worship and time with God. But it didn't come until I removed the roadblock. But you know, in that prayer, I was praying, Lord, help me change my heart. I don't have the heart, but I choose to give you my will. At the end of that time of devotion, I received a text message from somebody. I just finished my devotions. I received a text message from somebody, and her name's Nina. We'd exchanged phone numbers earlier. She had actually read um, the book on prayer, and we had become friends, but we weren't close friends. She had no idea the struggles I was having in my life or or anything that I might have been going through at that moment. We hadn't even exchanged messages, but we had exchanged phone numbers. Out of the blue, she text messages me, 
And this is what she texted me. Happy Sabbath, Melody. I woke up this morning from a dream where God asked me to pray for you. I was doing so in my dream when I woke up. I've continued praying now for you to have courage, strength, and peace that passes understanding and the knowledge that God is on your side. I didn't feel like God was on my side. I kind of felt like I was a little bit forgotten because some things weren't working out as I was wanting them to. <clears throat> I was discouraged. I needed courage. I needed strength. She says, this has never happened to me before, but I had to reach out and let you know that I am praying for you this morning, and I will continue to pray for you throughout the day. Then she included this, this Bible verse from Psalms 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. And then she sent me a second text. I must also tell you that my dream revolved around both personal and work challenges, but the biggest part that was God wanted to encourage you to continue in your important work, not to grow weary at this time because he has called you to this. Was I just struggling with my whole work situation and thinking, you know, things aren't working as quickly as I would like and maybe I should go and do some more things independent. I'm working with the worldwide church and I'm praise God for what he's doing and the things that he's he's doing it's just amazing but sometimes it gets frustrating working with the system and you think I could just do it better if I went on my own right just to be frankly honest don't tell any of the leaders that <laughs> but anyway I'm struggling because I'm in this this pity party mode and at the time that I'm struggling, and this was a severe struggle that I, I was having, I was praying, Lord, change my heart. I give you my will. And at the same time that I was wrestling, God gave her the dream that said, pray for Melody. And not only did he give her the dream, he gave her the message that I needed to hear. But there was one more thing that he did. You know, I shared some of my testimony yesterday right? Was it yesterday? Daring to have a faith above and beyond. Um, there was a specific song that really has meant a lot to me over the years. Sometimes God brings different songs into our life and it's just kind of like it's your song. This is what God keeps bringing back to you. And years ago, back when my heart was first bro broken and I was really, really struggling, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go <laughs> and listen to the recording from yesterday because that's the whole testimony from yesterday. Um, from the last half. But anyway, I was really struggling when uh, part number one in my life went another direction, and God gave me this song, and it was Be Still My Soul. And just listen to the words. Be still my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Be still, my soul, thy God doth undertake to guide the future as he has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake, all now mysterious, shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Now God has brought this song back to me when, it, when this first happened. Um, this was back in 2002, and I actually wrote it out 
and I put it in the back of my Bible. And here's the original thing that I wrote in 2002 in the back of my Bible. And over the years as I have struggled and different things in my life, I'll go back to the song. And I'm like, God, you said, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. You said, you know, uh, are you still with me in the storm? Because I don't feel like you're with me in the storm right now. I feel a little alone. Is this still true? And I'll go back and ask God. And this summer I was going through that. Things hadn't come back together yet. Um, in, in my relationship story. And so I was struggling, like, Lord. And I, I had been crying and looking at this song just like a week or two before. And then <clears throat> I come back. I had actually been um, doing a prayer seminar in, in another country um, when that happened. And then I came back, and then things kind of went downhill because I was just struggling with, with some work situations, and everything kind of came together. So this day, this girl has this dream. She text messaged me the message at the right time, the right message. And then she told me at the end of her message, she says, there was also a song playing in my dream. And she says, click on this YouTube to see the song. And I clicked on the YouTube. And do you know what the song was? It was Be Still My Soul. Now, do you think that was just a random dream that that girl had? No, that was not. Do you think that when she gave me that message and I clicked on that YouTube and I saw that song and the message that I needed to hear and she had no idea what was going on, do you think that I wanted to keep doing what I was doing and feel sorry for myself? No, I mean, I have no idea why God went to such effort to show me and to reassure me. Melody, I'm with you, I see. Be faithful, hold on, have courage, be still my soul. I am with you. The thorny ways lead to a joyful end. It was actually one month after that that things turned around. And you heard that story yesterday. Be still, my soul. That was his signature on the dream. You know, many of us are like the tiny seashell on the ocean shore, clutching our little pool of water or self inside. We're afraid to yield it up for fear that there will not be enough water to refill it. That's the way we are. Oh, I don't want to let go of what I have. I don't know if I'm going to get something better. I don't know what is God going to do. What does he have in store? And yet God has an infinite ocean of blessings just waiting to pour upon us and to refill our lives and hearts with. If we will only let go and be emptied of self, emptied of our little pool of stagnant water and surrender all to him. Again, if we don't know how to let go, what do we do? The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. We have to be vitally connected. We have to be surrendering day by day, moment by moment. It's look to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. When once the gaze is fixed upon Christ, the life finds its center. And this is the key. This is the key to everything that I've been sharing and, and keys to personal revival and above and beyond living. It's kneeling at the foot of the cross. It's kneeling in humi humility. It's turning our gaze upon Jesus. The enthusiasm, the generous devotion, the passionate ardor of youth find here their true object. Duty becomes a delight and sacrifice a pleasure to honor Christ, to become like him is life's highest joy and greatest ambition. You know, when I looked 
um, at my life in earlier years um, as a teenager and then a young adult. As I shared earlier, I had different dreams and visions of how I thought I wanted my life to go. But I want to share again with you today that God's plans are infinitely better. I thought I knew who I wanted to marry. I thought I knew the job that I wanted to have or where I wanted to go as a missionary. And you know what? God has done different than I thought, but his plans are better. I'm looking back now and I'm thinking, wow, I would not change anything. You know, when things really began to turn around for me back in um, 2006, 2007, when I began daring to ask for more and I was just like, Lord, I'm not content with the, with the, with the spiritual relationship I've had. I want a deeper experience. I don't want a superficial Christianity anymore. I want to go deeper. I want you to really be real in my life. You say you're real in the Bible. I see all these promises, but I want to see them real in my life. When I started claiming these promises and just holding on and saying, Lord, my life is yours. I'm working as a nurse right now in the hospital, and I'd like to be out in the mission field somewhere, but use me today where I am. You know, it's like supernatural things started happening. I remember I was still living in Loma Linda at the time, working in Riverside, California at a hospital, and um, I was praying. I, had, I began opening up myself to just pray for the Lord's will to happen. And I remember going into the hospital to work one day, and I got my report on my group of patients, and then they moved me upstairs. Well, that was kind of frustrating because I already got a report and I had to move, but I went upstairs. I got report on a second batch of patients, and then they decided, I was a travel nurse, by the way, they decided they had too many nurses upstairs that were travel nurses, and I needed to go back downstairs again. So I went back downstairs, but the nurse that I'd given my patients to, she was already off and running for the day, and so I got the group that still had not inherited a nurse. I got to be their nurse, and that group had a girl that the night before had tried to commit suicide. And I was like, okay, Lord, I think I know why you switched me around and why I needed to be here. She was so um, violent that they actually had guards with her in the room. And... Um, I began praying. I was like, Lord, I've, I've given you my heart, and I've, I've just asked you to help me make a difference in the lives of, you know, so show me how to reach this girl today. Show me. And so, um, you know, the day goes on. It's very busy, but there came a point where I had a little bit of time, and I went into her room, and I started talking to her. And I said, um, I'll call her Tracy. Um, I, I asked the guard to step out, and I said, it's okay. I'd just like to talk with her by myself for a few minutes, and so they did. And I said, you know, Tracy, I believe that there's a reason that you did not succeed in taking your life, and that's because God has a special plan and a purpose for you. And she's kind of like, you know, she wouldn't look at me initially, and then she's kind of like, what? <laughs> you know, like, God has a plan for me? You know, you could just see what she thought of herself, and battered and scarred and bruised and just, and I said, yes, and... Um, I then shared with her, I said, you know, I've been in dark places in my life where I didn't have hope, and I didn't want to live either. But I said, you know, God has totally changed my life. He's turned my life around. You know, the Bible tells us um, that he comes to give us life and life more abundant, to taste and see that he's good. And I shared some of my testimony with her about God walking me out of the dark um, darkness in my life that I had sunk into and how he'd given me a new life. And as I'm talking, tears began to roll down her cheeks. And she began to cry, and I say, would you be willing to give God a chance in your life? Would you be willing to try? And she nodded her head that she would. And so we prayed together that day, and um, 
After that day, they were able to dismiss the guards because she did not need them anymore. Um, she was there, I don't know how much longer, but I took care of her a few more times. And I did something at the end of her stay, which you're not supposed to do in the medical field, but I um, don't always keep the rules. I, I gave her my contact information and I said, you know, you're going to drug rehab and I'd like to hear from you when you're out and I'm going to be praying for you. Let me know how you're doing. And so at the end of the summer, a couple months later, I get this call from Tracy on the phone and she tells me, you know, I'm getting out and such and such and uh, praise God and things were going good. And I was asking her where she was going or what the plan was. And she says, well, I really don't have a good plan because all my friends do drugs and um, my mom's overdosed and practically killed herself and I don't have family to go to and just what it, I, I just don't know but I don't know you know something will work out <laughs> I didn't even pray about this I didn't even think about it I was just like do you want to come and live with me it just came out I felt the Holy Spirit prompting me in my head and um, she was quite shocked, as you can imagine, and she's like, are you serious? And I said, well, um, yeah, if you come and live with me, you have to do everything I do. <laughs> you have to eat what I eat. You have to go to church with me. You have to exercise with me. I'm thinking Nedley Depression Recovery Program, right? I'm going to put her through this program. <laughs> All these different things. And she's like, okay. She had no idea what she was getting into. <laughs> She didn't even know what a Seventh-day Adventist was or anything. She comes to my house and she's having computer TV withdrawals because I have no you know, TV or movies or any of this stuff. But do you know, for the months that she lived with me, God really began to turn her around and I saw her thrive under the love. I remember I took her to church um, at Advent Hope. Um, if, if you were there, you may have remembered. Um, I brought her in and we had this choir and she had all these danglies, you know, everywhere. And I'm not just talking normal jewelry, I'm talking multiple piercings and nose ring and everything. And, and we're coming up to the choir. Uh, I was singing in the choir that day and she's like, can I sing with you in the choir? And I was like, dear Lord, help nobody to say anything. <laughs> I take her up with me and she's reading the words with me and singing, even though she didn't really know the songs. And I praise God because that group just embraced her and loved her. And she ended up moving on. Um, she is not a Seventh-day Adventist at this time, but I have seen God continue to grow her life. She's married now, has children, and she's been, from what I understand, out of the drug world for like the last six or seven years. And so it's amazing seeing what God did. But that's just one illustration. As I moved forward and just was saying, Lord, I remember praying this, and this is really, this is really crazy. Um, I don't know, I'm supposed to end at 5.30, or do, do you know? Oh, 5.15. Oh, wow. Okay. I was thinking I still had time, so I was sharing a few more just stories. You know, as I surrendered, I was praying, Lord, I don't know how to reach people that have drug issues or this issue or that issue, but I'm open if you want me to. Do you know what? He brought people to my door. He brought people to me that had these issues. I didn't know how to deal with them. I had another girl come and live with me that was needing help getting off of drugs. I went through her with withdrawals. I prayed with her through the night, and she only had withdrawals that one night, and then she was clear. You know, I saw God bring people, open doors, you know, lead. I'm going into ministry, working as a nurse. I felt like God was calling me into full-time ministry, and I was like, 
Do I walk away from this income just to do full-time ministry? How am I going to pay the bills? What's going to happen? And you know what I've, God is telling me as I'm surrendering and I'm giving my life to him and I'm surrendering. He says, I promise to take care of you. I promise to provide. For four years, I walked away from nursing. For four years, I lived basically without uh, any steady income or paycheck. Month by month, God brought the bills. He paid for me. He took care of me. He provided this and that. I can tell you testimony after testimony how God has worked and miraculously worked in answer to my just looking to his promises and saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this, but I'm looking to you and I surrender. And he provided and he worked again and again and again. I don't know what the areas are in your life, but I want to challenge you as he's knocking on your door. We like to let people into our living room and our house. We're a little bit more hesitant to let them into our kitchen or into our bedroom or into those secret places because that's our private place. But Jesus, he comes and he says, I want the full house, not just the living room, not just the kitchen, not just the bedroom. I want the basement. I want every part. Will we surrender the keys to him? Will we open the door? What do we give when we give all a sin-polluted soul for Jesus to purify, to cleanse by his blood and save from death by his matchless love? And yet I, I, I saw, Ellen White writes, that some thought it was hard to give up all. God didn't just fulfill my dreams. He's given me so much better, and I've shared that with you. Don't we think that God of tender, compassionate, unchangeable, and limitless love. He's proved that a million times over. Don't we think that he is worthy of our limitless trust? I want to encourage you, we're going to close this seminar, to stay at the foot of the cross, and as you go forward, ask God how he wants you to move forward, how he wants you um, to, to follow him. You know, I was going to talk more about how to find his will in your life, but if you fast and pray and you seek him with all your heart, he's going to show you what that is. I can't show you. I can't tell you. You can come up and say, Melody, what should I do? Should I do this or that? I would say fast and pray. God's going to show you the way that you should go. I was going to ask, what keys are you still holding on to? He says, give me the keys to your heart. And you know, when we give him the keys to our heart, he gives us an exchange. And you know what the exchange is? He says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What God is, is, is giving us in exchange for our surrender is infinitely above and beyond anything that we could imagine or think. So that's my encouragement to you. I pray um, that that can help and inspire you in some way. And my prayers are with you as you go forward. As you leave GYC, you're going to have challenges and tests to the decisions that you've made here. You come off the mountain and go into the valley. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let yourself get swept up in the feelings or in the peer pressure that's around you. And God's going to help you to be victorious. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for the opportunity to talk about you and your love, your matchless goodness. And Father, we just praise you. You say, taste and see that God is good. I could share so many, so many testimonies of how you have shown in my own life that you are good. The amazing adventure of living with you and trusting you and seeing how you tenderly care for me and for, for each one of us, Father, is just amazing. And you want to do the same for each one that's in this room. I'm not a special case. The other speakers and teachers here are not special cases. Father, this is the experience that you want to give each one of us. You died 
to give us life and life more abundant. So teach us how to grasp a hold of it and teach us how to surrender self that you may fill us with your spirit. Thank you for hearing this prayer in your precious name. Amen. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference when all has been heard in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.